May the Lord's blessing be on his word tonight. Let's ask for that in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray that for Jesus' sake, your word may be a blessing to us, so that for Jesus' sake, we would respond as we should in this place and wherever we go and however long you have for us on this earth and for eternity. We pray that the gospel may be a, a joyful sound to us and that we would respond in kind. And your spirit be at, so at work in us, Lord, and that whatever is said and however we respond may be turning our attention where it should be, away from ourselves and to the glory of your name. We'd ask that you hear us in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to read another portion out of Genesis today and uh, this evening. And we're looking at Genesis 21. Passage that has some reference made of it in Galatians. We're going to take a look at that too a little bit. Uh, Galatians 4, I do believe. And uh, before we do that, we're going to be reading from Genesis 21, though. A couple of verses out of Galatians 4, but we read from uh, primarily from Genesis 21. Let's look at that passage right now. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son and in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away, and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes, and she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot, for she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. 
up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, or I will make him into a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness, in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me, hear by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. And then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of this army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abram planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Uh, just a couple of verses out of Galatians 4, just so that we've got this reference because they come up in the sermon. Uh, and it's verses uh, 28 through um, 31 in Galatians 4. It says, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. We do thank the Lord for his word again this evening. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, our children know what it's like to have to wait for something to come. And, and maybe, I guess we all have a sense of calling about being patient about things, but children seem to especially sense that. Maybe they're waiting for a package in the mail. Maybe they're waiting for grandma and grandpa to show up. Maybe it's a, a special day that's coming, but whatever it is, it's hard to wait. Maybe, maybe it's the percentage of time that's involved in terms in accordance with how old they are. It seems to be that much longer. When you get older, a day doesn't seem as long as, as it was when you're young. But uh, it can be especially hard for children. And, and time seems to go so slow sometimes when you're young. But when you get older and the time just seems to fly from day to day and week to week. Uh, you get a different experience that way. But, but whenever that day or that package or those people come, uh, we're excited. And 
becoming a grandfather and a grandmother in our family, when we our kids are waiting, our grandkids are waiting for us to show up, it's a blessing to see them because they're so excited. And they smile and they laugh and they're, they want to show you everything. And then, why is that? I mean, what's, what's the point of that? Well, what they couldn't wait for has finally arrived. And they might have thought, you know, that they never thought that day was going to come. They never thought those people were going to come. And lo and behold, here they are. And they take joy in that. Well, God keeps his promises to us, doesn't he? Boys and girls and all of us today, it's good to know. It may seem like a long, long time before he keeps his promises. But that's because what's a long time to us is not very long to God. And it's his timing that counts after all. The important thing for us is to take joy in what God has given to us in accordance with his promises. For Abraham and Sarah, it was a baby that was promised 25 years before. For us, it is that Jesus has come so that we might know salvation from our sin in him. And, and we also need to take joy in knowing that Jesus is coming again to make everything right. And it may not be tomorrow. But we can count on God to keep his promise about that too. We need to live as those who believe that for Jesus' sake, God will keep his promise and his promise. After so many times when Abraham and Sarah uh, sought to help God along uh, as uh, when it comes to his promises, uh, as they sought to help God along so that his promises could be protected and kept, Abraham and Sarah, in the birth of their son Isaac, come to realize that God didn't need that help. And God won't be hurried. He keeps his promises just when they need to be kept. And he keeps his promises, period. And, and we need to be at peace with that. In our passage, there's three reactions to the covenant blessings that come the way of Abraham. Uh, we want to take a look at them tonight. Admittedly, most of our time spent on the first two, but also the last as well. Uh, and we pray that the Lord will bless His Word to us and, and to His glory. And so we're going to look at the reaction of rejoicing, uh, rejection, and respect. But first of all, we're going to look at how uh, the reaction to God's covenant and His blessing is one of rejoicing. The rejoicing that we see has to do with the birth of Isaac, the son of the promise. Isaac's name, Isaac's name means, as we know, it means laughter, which is loaded with significance for us here. That name points to just how wondrous God's promises to Abraham and those who are children of his in faith really are. And how they need to predominate in the lives of people, in, in, in the lives of his people. Laughing was what both Abraham and Sarah did in the past, because what God was promising seemed to be utterly impossible. 
And yet in His covenant blessing, God does the impossible. And He causes a miraculous birth to occur in order to underscore the truth that what's impossible with man is possible with God and only so in Him. Both Abraham and Sarah no doubt have come to know that joy and ecstatic moment. The child is named Isaac, but not out of disbelief, but according to command, but also because it causes joyful amazement to those who see what God is able to do like no other. It is marvelous in our eyes. We cannot help but laugh. We cannot help but rejoice. After all, this is a 25-year wait that Abraham and Sarah underwent. It seemed like what God had promised was never going to happen. And the way that Abraham and Sarah lived at times, you would have thought that they didn't think so either. But the time finally arrived in accordance with God's timetable. Not the timetable of those to whom he made his promise. Its arrival was even more welcome than the ordinary birth of a child. And while all children we tend to look at with marvel and wonder as, as gifts of the Lord, and we speak of them as miracles, of course, this birth was miraculous, of course, to the fuller sense of the term. <laughs> Laughter and joy were the appropriate reaction to the birth of this Son of God's grace. Abraham and Sarah take joy in the coming of God's promised birth. It was a long time in coming, and it was a child of miraculous proportions. But then what about us? What joy do we know of God's kept promises? Well, from a Christian point of view, the joy and amazement that we should enjoy is found in the coming of the long-expected Jesus. We sing that, of course. Come now, long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Well, he's come. And with a longer expectation from Isaac, because for his coming, it's a coming that was anticipated from the time of man's fall into sin. It was an even longer wait. And there were times in the history of God's redemptive plan where it would appear that it would never come, that it couldn't come because of the evils of mankind. But none of those evils ever stopped God's timetable. Never. And people who were waiting for that coming, who longed to see that day, they rejoiced in it. Even Abraham himself. Jesus himself says that Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing Jesus' day. He saw it and was glad. So Abraham rejoiced in Isaac's coming, but even more so in the coming of Jesus. <laughs> through whom the ultimate blessing of life would come to Abraham 
and all those who shared faith with him in Christ. We must never lose sight then of that joy that is ours to enjoy when we have come to know covenant blessings in Christ. There is joy for us in the coming of Christ. There is joy in the new birth we know as children of Him by the Spirit of Christ, regenerated by God's mercy. A miracle in itself. And we know there's heartache and there's sadness in the world. We don't ever want to gloss that over. But the calling to rejoice in the Lord always in praise is not an empty calling for us. Because when we're in the Lord, there's reason for thanks always and peace of mind. Isaac's name means laughter. For all those who rejoice in the covenant blessings of God in Christ have reason to laugh. They have reason to rejoice in the Lord in praise and to take joy to take delight in serving this God. And it'll be a joy that'll be made complete in the final coming of Christ on the clouds of glory. And it seems sometimes like a long time coming. It seems like that coming's going to be a while before it comes. And it may seem sometimes like it'll never come at all. But we're called to yearn for its coming. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by taking delight, right, in obeying the Lord and keeping our hope in the Lord. We need to yearn as those who, in a sense, can't wait for the completion of that joy. We're anxious for it in that proper sense, but also as those who know we can count on it happening. Because from the pages of Scripture, we're reminded over and over and over again that we can always count on God's Word. And it's enough to make you laugh. It's enough to make you rejoice. It's enough to make you praise God because of the goodness that He shows us in Christ that way. But for some, the name of Isaac and the covenant blessings of the Lord is not a reason to laugh for joy, but to laugh with mockery. The mocker is the opposite of the wise man in Psalm 1. He doesn't sit in the seat of mockers. Or as Proverbs 9 would speak about in verses 8 and 12, where it contrasts the wise man with the scoffer. Ishmael takes the same track as Cain of days gone by before him and Esau would do in days to come. Coming of the promise was not going to come through any of those, though they were all born first. Cain, Ishmael, Esau. But we don't see God's grace at work there. We, a darkness remains there to the point of trivializing God's grace and promises 
finding no joy in them except to belittle them. Be it in their sacrifice, be it in their laughter, or their willingness to trade covenant blessings for a moment's satisfaction. But it's the spirit that rises out of unbelief, the transgression of the third commandment, where we are told not to take the name of the Lord lightly. And Sarah, in her judgments against the son of the slave woman that we read of here, was right. God sided with her. And as we read from Galatians, from a New Testament point of view, in accordance with the Galatians 4, 29 and 30, what Sarah was proclaiming in essence was that the mockery that trivializes and persecutes God's grace in Christ uh, with the slavery of works righteousness and self-righteousness has no place in the household of faith. It was going on then, and it's going on now, says the Apostle Paul. That trivialization, that persecution of God's grace, that, that lightheartedness that mocks God's powerful, redeeming, gracious purposes by way of his covenant. It has no place in the church that proclaims instead the grace and the freedom that God gives through the Son of the Promise, ultimately Jesus Christ. The inheritance, the blessing, the promise, the hope, and the joy of true freedom is found in the grace of God. We look anywhere else, we're miserable. Not in us, not in our ability, not in our pride, it's not in our keeping the law perfectly, it is not in, which we can't, uh, it's not in taking the grace of God lightly. Because that attitude leaves us in the slavery of our sin. We like the idea, by nature, we like the idea that it has to do with us, what we've done, what we're able to do. That there's somehow we get credit. But there's no place of that in the church of Jesus Christ. There's no place for that in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That attitude leads us in the slavery of our sin. The inheritance, the blessing, and true freedom is found in the son of the miraculous birth. It points to the great heir, the son of God, Jesus Christ, through whom we become heirs of God, co-heirs of Christ, freed from our slavery to be God's and Abraham's true children. So the passage isn't trying to teach us here, well, then you, you, need to, you need to kick the rebellious son or daughter out. The first sign of rebellion. Because that would be a misapplication of the passage. It's not teaching us how to parent wayward sons. It's teaching us that there's no place in the household of faith for the teaching of a slavery that seeks to dishonor, to minimize, to mock, or to persecute, or to ignore the amazing grace of God. Substitute it for something else. Something that we think is more relevant. Something that we think is going to direct our attention to ourselves. You know, we live in a world like that that wants to do that so long. It wants to bring a gospel that's no gospel. We see a lot of that going on these days. 
And it ends up becoming a, a gospel of, of color or of gender or a, jo- a, 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 a gospel of politics. And that's no gospel. And they like to make it out like that, but it has no place in the church of Jesus Christ. It has no, it has no bearing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, it ignores it. It, it sidetracks it. It tries to seek unity amongst people by means of a false gospel that in in, in essence ends up being sectarian in the way it works. Now there's only room for freedom, for praise, and for the magnifying of the name of the Lord in the church of Jesus Christ and his covenant community who shows his grace through the birth of the Son of the Promise. And, And One way or the other, there's never a good reason to take lightly the grace of God. That's what moves us to come here, right? It's because we don't want to minimize and make light of the grace of God in our lives. Abraham's not so quick to want to send Ishmael away. And the only reason that he did, you know, it's because God told him to do that. With the assurance that he wouldn't be sending Ishmael to his death. For the sake of the covenant that God had made with Abraham, Ishmael would become a nation, for he is your offspring. For the sake of the covenant that God had made with Abraham, Ishmael would become a nation. He wouldn't be snuffed out. And Hagar comes to know that as well. God is going to make a nation out of Ishmael. And why does he do that? Well, think about it a little bit. You know, why, why does any nation continue to exist? Isn't it for the sake of God's covenant in Christ, ultimately? If you really, if you, if you, if you draw back and consider why all these promises were made to God, to, to Abraham in the first place, why, why this son of the promise was going to be born to him in the first place, why? It was because through the nation, in all the nations, they would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. Through your seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Well, there have to be nations in order for there to be that blessing. Abraham's covenant was such so that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. I mean, why didn't God destroy Cain completely? And why didn't he destroy everyone at the flood? And why didn't he destroy Esau? Or Moab? Why didn't he wipe Egypt completely from the face of the earth? Why does any nation continue to exist? Is it not so that the elect from every nation may come to know the grace of God in Christ? Is it, is it not so that 
that he can gather the nations to himself through the seed of Abraham? As Christians, we have to realize that this was why our heritage was allowed to continue to exist. It was so that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, could be proclaimed to us. Certainly, certainly people laugh at the gospel today. I, I get that. We know that. But there are people who continue to laugh for joy about the gospel as well. Because the joy of God's covenant continues to be proclaimed to the nation. And there are people in those nations that laugh. Not out of mockery, but in the joy of the Lord. There's respect here too. And we're going to touch on that briefly. The respecting of God's promises follows the rejecting of God's promises. And there, and there are some parallels between what was just written about Ishmael and what's written here about Abimelech. And in both cases, you'll notice that there's a well that's mentioned. And in both cases, we read about God's presence. You know, that Ishmael would be, God would be with Ishmael to an extent. And we hear Abimelech declaring that about Abraham as he's considering how God has treated him. He says almost from the outset, God is with you in all that you do. So there are some ties between what was written about Ishmael and what's written about Abimelech that way. But while Ishmael is preserved for the sake of Abraham, it would appear uh, that Abimelech, who's recognizing the divine blessing in Abraham, is also seeking preservation. He's making peace with Abraham the one who has known the covenant blessing of God. Swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my defendants or with my posterity, but as I've dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me with the land and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. The Ishmael had trivialized God's blessing. But perhaps... The fact that the peace Abimelech had made with Abraham, it maybe is a hint of things to come. You know, that nations would come to find peace with the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Because people come to see that God is in the midst of his church, in the midst of his people. Surely that is something that, that unbelievers came to realize in faith when they came to worship services in the New Testament. As people hear the Word of God, the Word of the Lord, they come to say, as says the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, surely God is in this place. And in hearing the Word, they, they come to peace with the covenant God of Abraham who worships the God 
who keeps and proclaims His Word in Jesus Christ. It's a worship that we must never neglect when we've known God's grace in Christ. Because one of the reasons we come is that, yeah, when we have unbelievers in our midst, and we are in the midst, and they see our joy in the Lord as we worship, you know, because it's not always about us, is it, right? It, it, we don't always see that when we're worshiping or called to worship. That part of why we're called to worship is in part, certainly for the education of others who are with us in, in the Lord, but for others who look around and say, oh, these people come in and take joy in the Lord. They take joy in His Word. God is truly in this place, and I want to be part of this too. And so it's a worship that we must never neglect, for a lot of reasons, but certainly that one too. The opportunity that in our praise of God, people around us might look and say, they take this seriously. They don't take this lightly. They rejoice in what God's grace has done for them. And they want others to know about that too. Rejoicing, rejection, respect, their reactions to the covenant blessings of the Lord in Christ. We should never want anyone to reject those blessings, but to find peace with God and with us to take great delight and the miraculous thing that God does for His glory and for the benefit of His people. May, may that be our joy and our peace tonight. We once again consider the wonder of God in Christ. What He's done and what He'll do for us. And we might take joy in that. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that your word never returns to you void. There are various reactions to God's covenant blessing. But we would pray that for ourselves and for those around us, that it might be the joy of the Lord that is predominant for us a laughter not to mockery or trivializing or ignoring or setting aside to marvel God's grace and its impact on our lives, but rather a joy that predominates in our lives because we know that whatever goes on around us or whatever goes on within us, the greatness, the goodness, the grace of our God prevails. Oh Lord, far from trivializing your grace. May we magnify your name with joy. And may it make such an impact on others around us so that as was true with Abimelech as he saw with Abraham, as was true in the days of Corinth when unbelievers were in the midst of worship, people may be able to say, truly, God is with you. Truly, God is in this place. Why? Because we don't trivialize the grace of God. 
We rejoice in it. Oh, may that be so for us every day, dear Father. We take on the challenges that come our way, and as we're called to rest in the salvation that Jesus Christ brings, we pray that you'd hear us in the name of Christ. Amen. We're going to sing number 170.